The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Hello and welcome to ILTV Zion News on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, police investigate the site of yesterday's stabbing attack in Jerusalem. An employee of the French consulate is arrested by Israel for smuggling weapons to Gaza. And it looks like Israel has just broken a major environmental record. I'm Natasha Kirchak here with the latest news in Israel. More bad news after yesterday's stabbing attack in the old city of Jerusalem. 32-year-old Adiel Kolman, a Jewish father of four, has succumbed to his wounds and passed away in the hospital. Police units responded to a terrorist attack that was carried out by one terrorist who used a knife to stab a security guard here in the old city of Jerusalem. Immediately, police units responded at the scene and the area is being closed off. When the attack first broke out yesterday, initial reports named the suspect as a Turkish national visiting Israel on a tourist visa. Police have corrected those reports now, naming 28-year-old Abd al-Rahman Bani Fadel as the killer, a Palestinian father of two from the West Bank. Fadel was in Israel at the time on a five-day permit allowing him to search for work in Israel. Police don't believe the suspect had any prior connections to terror organizations, which could mean this attack was more spur of the moment than previously thought. This incident comes just a few days after a deadly car ramming by a Palestinian assailant in the West Bank, which claimed the lives of two IDF soldiers. Many are bracing for even more violence to come. As the terror attacks continue, many are left wondering whether peace will ever be a reality, especially when terrorists and their families are receiving monthly salaries from the Palestinian Authority in return for their terrible crimes. These payments continue to beg the question, is Palestinian Authority President Abbas really a partner in peace? Well, here to help us answer that question is Middle East expert Dr. and Colonel Uven Bilko. Colonel Reserve. Colonel yeah. Reserve. All right. So, Okay. In any case, yeah. I would try to answer this uh, question, despite the fact that it's a wide, a lot of details to deal with. But the most important thing is that we Israelis do not intend to do peace with a man, with a leader. We intend to do peace with people, with the Palestinian people. Unfortunately, Palestinian people are not yet prepared to do peace. You can see this through a huge incitement, a lot of a, a box, a concern, incitement, and a, 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 a preaching for a mm-hmm. fighting Israel, liberate all Palestine, right to return, etc. So the Palestinians are not yet not ready. Is for, Netanyahu a partner for peace? Uh, I believe yes. He even openly introduced. Uh, his terms for peace, uh, including, for example, a demilitarized uh, area that should be the Palestinian area, the Palestinian state, and uh, the fact that Israel should control the Jordan River and uh, 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 delivering uh, lands for lands, etc. a deal. That well, it all comes down to concessions from both sides, right? But why won't the Palestinian Authority stop paying salaries to terrorists? That's the main idea, because actually uh, Abu, uh, Abu, Abu Abbas is uh, behaving in a Janus face policy. For the world, he wants to be 
introduced as a one who's seeking for peace. But on the ground, towards his own people, he uh, incites them by, by accepting people who committed crimes against the Israeli uh, citizens, terrorists. He calls a, uh, streets and sites in the Palestinian area on the names of Palestinian terrorists. He increasing and uh, even encouraging terrorism by paying them, well, uh, the families and the tourist money. This is not the way to create a state of mind of peace. On the contrary, it, it encourages terrorists to keep on doing so. Well, my question for you, is there a better partner for peace that currently exists within the Palestinian public? Uh, and, and obviously, we're, there are many factions. Um, but who to you would stand out as a better partner for peace if there was another yeah, I believe that it's a build-up process in which we'll have to see signs, milestones on the road that shows that the Palestinians really accept the fact that we are existed. Let's begin of uh, recognizing the, the fact that we are a Jewish state. They even this uh, a, a, a simple a step of recognizing mm -hmm. Israel as Jewish state, they refuse to do it. They, they have a, been a striked by the, the American policy of Jerusalem, despite the fact that I believe that at the end of the day, the fact that Jerusalem, United Jerusalem, is the Israeli capital is something as obstacle that has been removed out of the table. Right. Little by little, they accept as well that the fact that Israel is not ready to commit a suicide by accepting their terms of what they claim for the right of return. Once they accept it, we are on the right way towards peace. All right. Thank you for joining us, Colonel. Thank you. Shocking details are emerging about an employee at the French consulate in Jerusalem who abused his position in order to smuggle weapons from Gaza to the West Bank. Israeli officials have named Romain Frank, who works as a driver for the consulate, as the prime suspect in the arms dealing operation. Frank's employment means he was able to make regular trips between Gaza and the West Bank while bypassing many of the customary regulation procedures. The suspect apparently made five runs consisting of 70 pistols and at least two assault rifles involving at least nine other suspects. The French consulate says they were caught totally unaware of these acts and takes them very seriously. Israel's Shin Bet security agency has concluded that these crimes were not political but merely driven by financial gain. Cases like this of consulate employees abusing their position for smokescreen money operations isn't totally unheard of. For these reasons, Israel has assured the French government that this will not impact diplomacy between Jerusalem and Paris. The suspect will stand trial today, and at this time, nine other suspects, including another employee at the French consulate, have been arrested as well. In the wake of massive cuts in American funding, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA, is facing a grim future. Well, last Thursday in Rome, the UN convened an emergency conference to try to save the floundering aid organization. UNRWA is an asset to the international community that we must protect and support. Unfortunately, today's financial crisis places all of UNRWA's achievement at risk. And without a collective solution, UNRWA will soon run out of money. ILTV's Aaron Porras joins me now with more. Now, Aaron, the international community uh, pledged $100 million in response to Guterres's plea. So is the problem solved here? Uh, unfortunately for UNRWA, no. problem is, is far from solved. You know, the 
the hundred thousand dollars will really only pay for health and, and basic education services uh, for the next few months. After that, UNRWA is right back in the same boat. So, what can be done? Uh, well, a lot of people are suggesting that UNRWA be uh, defunded completely. Uh, and suggested that its responsibilities just be absorbed by the UN High Commission for Refugees, which uh, is responsible for all other refugees on Earth. Uh, judging by the Rome Conference, though, there are some countries that clearly would seem to prefer the status quo and, and have donated that $100,000, but it's really just not sustainable, which is why the United States cut UNRWA uh, uh, funding to begin with. Right, 100 million. And, and what makes, I mean, what would you say makes UNRWA unsustainable in its current state? So UNRWA, the way that they operate, unfortunately, is what makes them unsustainable. The, the sheer fact that the number of their refugees has grown exponentially since the point of conflict. You know, in 1948, when these refugees were first made, there were about 700,000. Today, there are 10 times that worldwide, 7.2 million Palestinian refugees, because the status of refugee has been allowed to go from ge through generation to generation, which is unlike any other refugee population on Earth. So that's, that's really the main reason. All right. Well, Aaron, thanks for joining us and giving us an update on this. All right. One of Israel's star soccer players is embroiled in a disturbing case of sex abuse. Anthony Varin, who plays as a striker for the Beitel Jerusalem team, has just been summoned by police for questioning. This comes after a video began circulating on social media in which Varin can allegedly be seen in a circle of men having sex with a woman who appears to be unconscious. This horrific video went viral last week and was apparently filmed several years ago before Varen was a player for the Betal team. At the time, police did not immediately look into this as a criminal case, despite the fact that Varen himself, who is Israeli and French, admitted to the media that, quote, I screwed up. It happened once and will never happen again. I'll have to live with the shame all my life. Left-wing Knesset member Merav Michaeli has urged the police to investigate the matter appropriately, prompting Varen's questioning. In the meantime, however, Varen continues to play for Beitel Jerusalem with no disciplinary hearing on the allegations. The Israel Football Association only said after checking with their lawyers that they, quote, expect the soccer player and everyone else to behave properly and with respect. Rumor is that this tape was perhaps being used to blackmail Varen in the past and that more incriminating video may still be out there. All right, well, the votes are in, and it may not be much of a shock, but Russian President Vladimir Putin has just been elected to a historic fourth term. Putin will now lead Russia for another six years, making him the longest-running leader in Russia's history, second only to Joseph Stalin. ILTV's Brett Allen-Smith is with us now. And, Brett, as we know, Israel has an enormous Russian population. Sure. How did they handle this election? Well, it's an interesting question, because while this election was pretty much in the bag from the very get-go, now we're hearing all all those stories about, you know, voter suppression, bullying tactics, stuffing ballots, and etc. Because while Putin does have hardcore supporters in Russia for essentially bringing the country back into the realm of being a serious world power, the opposition against him is kind of afraid to stick their neck out, and probably for very good reason there. Sure, I mean, Putin himself is the former head of the KGB, right. and as soon as he took office, he was immediately putting media, newspapers, independent organizations, all under government control. Some say to maybe keep a muzzle on any sure. potential opposition. Yeah, and many Russian immigrants that I personally know here who live now in Israel, a lot of them said that they left because the situation was actually way worse than state media mm -hmm. would ever suggest. And because even though Russia has dug itself out of a very tough hole, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, 
that has come at a high cost. I mean, Russia is now basically puppeteering the Syrian civil war. Putin's accused of potentially changing the results of the last American election. He's got a scandal with poisoning a double agent in the UK. I saw the US hit Russia with new sanctions just this week, too. Correct. Right? And despite its power, Russia is becoming more and more isolated from the rest of the world. And a lot of Russians that I talk with here, many of them chose either to vote with the opposition, now that they've seen, you know, kind of another world here that they're in Israel, but many have also decided to boycott the election altogether. Well, that, uh, you know, that attacks what Putin was really after sure. throughout his campaign. He wanted a big voter turnout to justify his election and disprove those allegations of voter fraud. Right. right? And while state media says that the turnout was something, you know, like 75 percent, other sources say it could have been as low as 55 percent, if not even lower. I mean, I read one report about students in a school basically being threatened with expulsion if they didn't go out and vote. But again, it's really hard to tell exactly what's going on in Russia sometimes because of just how tight Putin's hold is and how scared people are to cross him. Well, I think uh, it's exactly that style of leadership that has many Israelis concerned, especially sure. now that Russia is so involved uh, right on their doorstep in Syria. And who knows what else? Right. Thanks for joining us, Brett. Sure. All right. It looks like Israelis are about to reap the first real concrete rewards of Israel's improving diplomacy in the world. Air India has just announced that starting next week, the airline will offer new faster direct flights between Tel Aviv and New Delhi by flying directly over Saudi airspace. This is a huge deal considering the fact that Saudi Arabia and Israel have no open diplomatic ties. Rumors of a growing friendship between the Saudis and Israel, however, have been circulating for a few years now. These new direct flights were first announced several weeks ago in the wake of Prime Minister Netanyahu's historic visit to India, but were immediately denied by Saudi Arabia, who have never granted approval for Israeli-bound flights over their airspace. Well, the times are officially changing. Now that Saudi Arabia has greenlit these new flight paths, Air India will be able to shave about two hours off of the overall flight time. Israel's national airline, El Al, is now petitioning for the same approval to fly over Saudi airspace as well. The Saudi government would potentially be violating a United Nations regulation if it didn't grant El Al the same permission it's giving Air India. Either way, this faster flight signals a new era in Israeli relations with both India and Saudi Arabia. The Israeli song submission for this year's Eurovision is taking the world by storm. Neta Barzilai's performance of the original song Toy is even drawing support from the Arab world with supporters from Saudi Arabia, Morocco and Iraq saying they may not like Israel, but they're wishing Barzilai success. What might stand out the most, though, is this awesome choreographed dance to the song that a children's center in Uganda put together. Take a look.
Ugh, I want that song to continue. The official clip of the song was posted on Sunday, and it's already racked up over 5 million views, making it the most viewed Eurovision entry this year. The success so far is leading many to claim that if Israel doesn't win the Eurovision this year, it will simply be because of politics. Either way, I think it's fair to say that Neta Barzilai has already won a lot more for Israel than the Eurovision. All right. When I first moved to Israel, I needed advice about basic life matters from which bank to open an account in to where to buy a couch. And interestingly, the best source of that information was a Facebook group, Secret Tel Aviv. This group has been around for nine years and with over 187,000 users, it's essentially become a staple for every new immigrant. Well, joining us now in the studio is the group's founder, Johnny Stark. And we are so excited to finally meet the face behind this incredible platform. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having All right. So why do you think Secret Tel Aviv has become such a hub for new immigrants? I mean, there seem to be so many programs in place from the Jewish agency to Misra de Klita, but we're seeing a lot of people reach out to your platform. So I think part of the problem, I think there's a bit of a failing going on at the moment with with the NGOs and with the government bodies that are meant to be looking after Olim. I think Secret Tel Aviv, we are a social enterprise. We're a for-profit business. Right. And I actually think that helps us because, you know, rather than focusing on the negative stuff, I guess, of the other, of the other company, other organizations, we, we have to innovate. You know, we, we, we can't just kind of switch off our computer every day at five o'clock and go home and, and that's it and take right. our salary. We have to keep on innovating. We have to keep on finding new things. So we have a Facebook group, which is, which is helping lots of people all the time. Well, I mean, and something that you just mentioned is, is the time, because if you look at this, I mean, um, it's clear that any question that a person has, they can post on the, the platform at any time. So you kind of have this constant support group of people to answer every question that you may have, which I love about the platform myself personally. But, you know, you've made sure that Secret Tel Aviv is a politics-free zone, which is very interesting because, you know, Israel's obviously almost inherently considered political in its existence. But more than that, the group often changes based on events that are happening that are political, terror attacks, people looking for pepper spray online. What, you know, how, why, why do you want Secret Tel Aviv to remain free of politics? So actually, this is one of the hardest parts of my job. And you can imagine, actually, with, with Israel, with everyone always arguing, and stuff, you know, when, we, when we keep politics out of Secret Tel Aviv, we get a lot of people arguing back with us as well. Um, I think the reason we have this policy, Israel, everyone's arguing all the time, everyone's talking politics all the time. Secret Tel Aviv is kind of like an oasis of, 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 of non-politics within, yeah. this, within this chaos. And, and we like to keep it that way. I think the nice thing about our group, it's got a mix of, of people, you know, across all the political spectrum, across different religions as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, we're, we're an example of how people can actually work together or, or help each other, irrespective of their political views or religions or these kind of things. Well, you know, how do you deal with posts that are kind of on that borderline, for example, you know, the current issues that we're seeing with the refugee crisis here in Israel, the, the Eritrean and, and Sudanese asylum secrets? People are mentioning this. A lot of the young people on this platform are involved in the cause. What do you do with... With issues like this, so the, the good question. I mean, this is actually probably the hardest uh, issue that we have. Um, it's actually there's a lot of refugees also within Secret Tel Aviv as well. They're actually part of our community. Um, we, as much as possible, we try and keep the group politics free. Um, we have other channels. So we have, for example, our websites, our newsletters, etc. Um, where, where as much as possible, you know, I, I personally. Um, support the refugees and, and again I can't say anything we have to keep it totally politics right. secret Aviv. so what we do is we can you know in our other channels we can say okay here's the protests that are going on or whatever else and, 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 and try and get the word out that way but yeah. within, within this forum it's a totally politics free forum alright well I mean the final thing that I want to ask and unfortunately we're running out of time is what aspects of the secret Tel Aviv platform do you feel should be noticed more because I know you have a job board now there are a lot of different 
aspects of the platform. Cool, thank you. I, um, I mean, so we just we just recently launched the Jobs Board. Now we have it in uh, New York and London. Um, so we started off with with just Israel. We're now helping Israeli companies find employees as well in, in London and New York. Wow. Um, we picked two Jewish, you know, cont- uh, cities with large Jewish communities. Our goal basically is not for any of Israelis to apply for jobs in London and New York, but it's actually more for the Jewish people within London and within New York to, to start working with Israeli yeah. companies and hopefully actually start to make Kaliar over here. Um, so that's something that we want. Well, for all our viewers watching, keep that in mind because that's, that's right down the alley. I think there are a lot of people here who just are kind of scared to make their way here and need that support. You can find it on the platform. And there's lots of amazing jobs there. Lots there are a lot of amazing, of amazing companies jobs. and lots of amazing jobs. All right. Well, Johnny, you know how much I love Secret Tel Aviv and how much I use this, guys. It has grown enormously over the, the course of the last nine years. And hopefully we'll have you back again soon. Thank Thanks, you for Johnny. having me. Cheers. All right, now get this. Israel has officially broken its solar power record. On Saturday, solar energy produced 13.4% of the total electricity being consumed in the country. And that's something to be really proud of because it puts Israeli sun innovation on the map. This may not sound like a surprising feat, especially since Israel is blessed with year-round sunshine. But even though Israel already has a pretty strong solar energy industry, production in Israel has traditionally been low, with much of it going to export. Back in 2015, Israel announced that it aimed to have 10% of the country's energy come from renewable sources like solar, wind, and biogas by 2020. And it looks like the country has already made that happen. In reality, just 2.6% of Israel's energy currently comes from renewable sources. But in the southern desert region, 70% of the area is powered by the sun. By 2020, that percentage should jump up to 100%. Israel is certainly trying to use its southern territory as an example for the rest of the country and is in the process of building the world's tallest solar tower near Eilat. The hope is that that tower, along with three other plots, will be able to generate about 1.6% of Israel's energy needs, just enough for about 5% of the Israeli population. Well, it looks like the famous modern Orthodox Jewish actress Mayim Bialik is here in the Holy Land. Bialik is perhaps most known for her incredible performance in the hit show The Big Bang Theory. And it looks like the Israeli president may be a fan of himself because she just visited him in his residence. ILTV's Emmanuel Kadosh is here with the full story. Emmanuel. Yes, Natasha, she is in Israel. She did visit the president, but she's here for a completely different reason. She's here to speak at the Global Forum for Combating Anti-Semitism. For those, let's take it back for a second. For those who don't know, like you said, she is the star on a very big TV show in the States, The Big Bang Theory, where she plays a neuroscientist, and she's actually a neuroscientist in real life. Which is crazy. I mean, like people people don't really know this about her, but she got a PhD from US UCLA UCLA, in neuroscience. uh, But she decided she wanted to go and continue acting because it it provides more time for her and her children. Right. Right. Exactly. And a lot of people are respecting her. You know, she is a Jewish actress. She's combating anti-Semitism. She's coming here to speak about being an actress, you know, a Jewish actress who is combating a lot of climate change in the, you know, a lot of anti-Semitism, especially in that industry. But she is very proud. She considers herself now an Orthodox Jew. She grew up a Reformed Jew. So, you know, she's here kind of just showing people what it's like to be a Jewish American actress and And I mean, I think doing it nicely. I think she she's really stood up for Israel. Israel just, you know, more the, beyond the Jewish issue, she loves right. Israel. Um, during the 2014 Gaza conflict, she donated money to the IDF for armored vests. Right. Um, she really does consider herself a Zionist. She says yeah. it in every, almost every yeah. interview. She's really vocal about it. And just a little fun fact for those who don't know, her name, Maim, means water in Hebrew, which is just like 
amazing in my yeah. opinion. She has a lot of family here in Israel. So she is here coming. She's going to be talking at um, the... She's, com- she's coming to the forum. She's going to be talking about it. She also did post on Facebook asking her followers to nominate her to light the torch at the Israeli Independence Day yeah, open ceremony. We'll, we'll see if that happens. It hasn't been confirmed yet, so let's hope. All right. Thanks for joining us, Emmanuel. Thank you. And now for our Hebrew word of the day. Love it or hate it, Netabagasila's performance of Toy is now burrowing itself into our heads worldwide. So today's word of the day is tsatsua, meaning toy. Whether it was some building blocks, a baby doll, or a karate-style action figure, most of us grew up with our favorite tsatsua or toy by our sides. But of course, adults have their tsatsuim or toys too. Maybe it's that new VR helmet or a shiny new car. Whatever your tsatsua is, just don't forget how important important it is to get up and play. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should be clear and somewhat warm with a low of about 60 or 16 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow you can expect more sunny skies, but with a slight drop in temperatures to a high of 75 or 24 degrees Celsius.